Levi, and Moses was as a baby. He was placed in the river by his mother because the Egyptians were killing all the male children. And of course, Pharaoh's daughter fished him out of the river, and he was raised in the home of Pharaoh. Got to experience that, and Moses lived quite a life as an Egyptian. By the time he was 40, he wanted to rescue his people from slavery, tried to do it on his own power, killed a killed an Egyptian soldier, uh, ultimately had to flee through the wilderness. And he lived in the wilderness for 40 years. And then God appeared to him at Mount Horeb and, and told him who he was and sent him back to Egypt. And Moses came back with about two million friends. And at that time, God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses. I am. I will engrave my words of grace on tablets of stone. God spoke on tablets of stone. Around uh, 1500, Martin Luther came on the scene, and, and most of us know Martin Luther uh, as the, uh, the one who was really responsible for the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther really stressed salvation by grace through faith. Uh, it was by faith alone that we're made right with God, we're made righteous with God. It's not through works, it's not through indulgences or paying money. It was purely by faith. But Luther had this passion. And his passion was to see every man and every woman have the word of God. And so he took the uh, Hebrew and the Greek scriptures and translated them into German in about 1522. And ultimately the New Testament by 1534, which really kind of was the, the foundation of Tyndall's Bible, which really came to be the foundation of the King James Bible. And he, he really gave the word of God into a form that every person in Germany that spoke the language could understand God's truth. To Martin Luther, he said, I am, I will engrave my words of grace on tablets of paper. So God spoke on tablets of stone to Moses. He spoke on tablets of paper through Martin Luther, and, and God is still speaking today. Today, of course, we're in a whole different world. We're surrounded by technology. Uh, the information at our fingertips is so prevalent. We looked at just some of the facts last week uh, of Google and of all the, uh, the readily information that's just at our hands. And it's amazing what's happened in the last few years with that information. And uh, it's funny because they say that the average person looks at their, their phone 150 times a day. And uh, it's one of those things that we're just constantly captured by. Matter of fact, last week when I was talking during the sermon, I got a text, and it was from my wife. And, uh, and so uh, God continues to speak today in a different form. To the modern Christian, I am. Hello. <laughs> Just, you got mail. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, guys. This is uh, Moses, is Justin, and Soren was Martin Luther, and Debbie's the Christian. <laughs> really, just we didn't have a script; we're just kind of winging it. But uh, uh, the the thing that's cool is how God is so relevant, even though times change. And you think about the difference in the world between Moses's time and our time, right? It's it's just unfathomable to think about the differences, to think about the different things that, that have happened. You think about transportation and you went from, you know, walking to camels, maybe to horses, to the more modern era where we had the trains and the, the buggies and the 
the cars and the jets, right? And of course, today you see the most modern way to travel, the Harley. When you leave here, you'll see it. If you don't believe it's true, just go check out the highway. Uh, it's, it's there today. It's, it's amazing how things have changed. Things have changed in communications from, you know, the, the etched in stone, right, to the, to the whole process of figuring out how to write on paper, to the process of ink, to the process of the printing press, to the process of cyberspace and the iPads. And we've just moved along. Things change constantly. Uh, communication has changed from, you know, just imagine when you used to leave the house if you were going overseas, if you were going on a trip, if you are even going to work, you'd be like, I'll see you when I get back. And all of a sudden, we developed the telegraph and then the postal service and maybe send a letter. And then we, we kind of moved to the phone and, and we moved to this whole process of being able to even text. And of course, today, like we can Skype with our daughter, Karen, who's in Bangkok, Thailand, <laughs> in an instant, face to face. It's amazing how things have changed. Do you remember um, RCA? Do you remember Woolworths? Do you remember uh, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen? Do you remember TWA and Pan Am? How about Standard Oil? In their day, they were like the Apple computer of their day, right? How about Montgomery Wards, American Motors? My dad used to have a yellow kind of American Motors car, as I remember it. All those companies are gone. They're gone. Wikipedia estimates that about 18% of the people in the world today have some kind of a smartphone. Isn't that amazing? And that technology first came on the scene in the early 90s. By 2000, they really developed it well and kind of mastered it. And they've only been marketing that for the last three years. And all of a sudden, a fifth of the world's population has something like a smartphone in their hands. A term that, that none of us virtually had heard of in January of 2010, unless you're really in the industry, is the iPad. Just think of it, 2010. That actually came out in April of 2010. And all of a sudden now when you see cheap tablets, you don't think of vitamins, right? <laughs> it's changed. Our culture changes constantly. It's constantly changing. Businesses scramble to keep up. They scramble to stay relevant. They scramble to make a profit to just survive. And that whole process of relevance really is defined by satisfying a needed hand. It's defined by increasing the likelihood of reaching a goal. Satisfying a need of hand, okay? Countries try and stay relevant. Matter of fact, I remember uh, watching the Olympics and the most dominant women's team for years was the East German women. Saturday Night Live used to have skits about the East German women, okay? You won't find them in the Olympics this week. There's no East Germany. They're gone, right? People try and stay relevant with our career, with our training, with our education, with how we look, with our hairstyles even. Uh, Bacon Park Barbershop used to have a crew cut with fenders. I remember that. That was like one of the cool things you always wanted. Flat on the top. You can kind of imagine the, the fender thing on the side. And uh, probably, it's probably back in style, I don't know. But it's just not named as cool anymore. But it's a crew cut with fenders. And there you go, Nia, if you're looking for a new style for people. But you see, the, uh, the, the times have changed. Things change. We try and stay relevant. We try and stay relevant in how we look and how we dress. 
Matter of fact, you think about there's maybe 100,000 people around here and, and to give you an idea, I bet there'll be about 400,000 dressed in black this week, right? As they roll in and dressed in the black and gold or the black and orange of Harley. It's amazing how things change and yet there's still this process of trying to stay relevant. And we're really, as a church, have one of our core values of being relevant. We're examining those core values. We're examining what drives us, what, what is our focus, what keeps us going, what's important to us. And we've looked a couple weeks ago, we looked at our, as our core real value is, is, is having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I, I challenge you through this time to kind of search for what your treasures are, what your values are, what drives you. And that relationship with God is going to be a core value here. Uh, and, and so often other things slip in front of that. And maybe it's our good works. Maybe it's our money or our stuff. Maybe it's human relationships or other things. And all of a sudden we kind of try and fix all these things out here. And then we think, well, we'll add God in and it'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. It has to begin with God. And as God is in there, he produces good works through us. We can handle money because we can take it or leave it trusting him. Our relationships work if we have God at the center. We looked at how we treasure truth as a value. And the word we believe is true. The word of God is true and it points to the ultimate truth with your person, Jesus Christ. We believe that. We believe that we should treasure Jesus Christ because he treasures us. He had everything and gave it all up for us. He gave it all up for each and every one of you. You're the most important thing to God. He loved you so much, he gave his son for you. It's an amazing thing to think about. And we just treasure that. And this series is just now because we get to choose just now, every moment, what we're gonna believe, what we're gonna follow. We've recommended books, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller. Uh, the Grace and Truth Paradox by Randy Elkhorn. This week I would recommend uh, Classic Christianity by Bob George. Many of you have done studies on that. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. But today, the title of this message is Just Now, God is Relevant. Let's just pray. Father, we come to you and, and we need you. And uh, we just ask for your power here. Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, you just leave. We have been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. God, may you have this place. May you have this time. May you get me out of the way and just speak to each and every one of us by the power of your spirit. God, you are real. And I just ask that you would speak to us. As we just sung, Father, speak to us by the power of your spirit. May you be glorified. May you be honored in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, most people believe Jesus was a real man. There was a Rasmussen survey, 2012, just a nationwide survey, it's probably a 95% confidence level, but 86% of the people believe that Jesus Christ, a man named Jesus Christ, walked on the earth about 2,000 years ago. In that same survey, 77% of the people believe that Christ rose from the dead, okay? They did the survey in 2010, 78% believed he rose from the dead. 2011, 78%. You get it more than three-fourths of the people in our country that we rub shoulders with, whether we're in church, at work, at home, in the school, wherever we are in our neighborhoods, right? Most of those people believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now think about that. They believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and it has virtually no impact on their life. You see, the fact that Christ rose from the dead, that Christ is alive, has virtually no impact on the day-to-day -day lives of most people we rub shoulders with. How can that be? You see, most people, even here in the church, we don't believe in church. We believe in religion. 
You see, what I mean is, is we don't, you know, easily, we kind of really struggle with believing that the church changes the culture. We struggle to believe in the living God. We struggle. And so we try and keep God relevant by trying to copy the culture and then bringing God in. And we think, okay, if we're gonna be relevant as a church, if that's gonna be one of our core values, what we need to do is copy our culture and then put God into our culture and we'll make God look attractive, you see? And, and so what we do is we try and package the things of God in some attractive modern way so people will be drawn to it. And the reason we struggle with that, I'm convinced we just don't see ourselves as the package. You see, believers, you are the church. You are God's instrument that he has chosen to make himself known to the world. You're the package, okay? You're, you're his choice. You're the ones that he has chosen to come down here and use to impact his world. He's chosen you. Technology's fine. There's nothing wrong with HD, okay? It's fine, but he chose you to impact the world. So just now, realize the living God lives in you. The living God lives in you. Isn't that incredible? You see, so often we try and box up God. And I think what happens is we experience God and, and then we try and capture that experience, okay? So we'll experience God in a worship service and we want the service to be the same. Or we'll experience him in our quiet time, so we want to go to the same place at the same time in the same way or in a small group. And we, and we get this experience of God and we want to kind of try and put it into a box and then we want to just package it up and then so then we can reopen that box again and come to experience God. And typically what we really do is we're trying to get God down into this really uh, cool HD Facebook thing so everybody else can see it and see how cool our God is so they'll, be, they'll love it. Really what we're trying to do is we're trying to make God an attractive attachment an attractive app, okay? And because then if you could just punch on that app on your iPad, guess what? You can get right to God, okay? We try and do that. But here's the deal. God is not in a box. He's not an app. He's not a worship style. He's not an event or a location or a day or a time or a place. The power of God goes beyond walls and ideas and forms and liturgy. The power of God goes to the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. God is alive. He's real. He indwells you, believers. He indwells you. You are his church. You are his instrument. You can't put him in a box outside of yourself. That's what Moses discovered. In Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, the very second book of the the Bible, Exodus chapter 3 is where Moses encountered God in the desert and, and at the beginning it just tells about his story okay Moses is about 80 years old by now and and he's pasturing out uh, in the wilderness and he comes to Horeb the mountain of God also known as Mount Sinai and in verse 2 it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush and he looked and behold the bush was burning with fire and the bush was not consumed and Moses said I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And it, obviously we lose a little bit in the English because you can get a picture of what this guy's thinking. And, and the Lord saw that Moses had turned to look and God called to him from the midst of the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. And God said, don't come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. This is the God he's dealing with. This is the God who's alive. This is the God. And Moses is face to face with this God, just the essence of him, and it just blows Moses away. And, and God tells him, hey, I'm going to send you back to Egypt. I'm going to rescue your people. And Moses, in verse 11, says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly, I'll be with you. This will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall come back to worship God at this mountain. And that's what they did. That's when Moses got the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses said to God, though, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I'm going to say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. You can imagine what he's thinking, right? And, and they may say to me, what's his name? What's his name? What do I say to him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me. And God furthermore said to Moses, this you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my memorial name to all the generations. I am God's name. Now there's no vowels in the Hebrew. It's only four letters, that name, Y-H-W-H, are the English letters that we have. Matter of fact, because there was no vowels, there would be no way that anybody today would know how to pronounce that name. The Hebrew people wouldn't even pronounce it because of fear of blasphemy and being stoned to death, okay? And, and here's this God, and his name is Y-H-W-H, I am. We can't even pronounce his name. And the Bible translates it Lord, L-O-R-D, Adonai. And, and so several years ago, some scholars took the, the vowels from Adonai and added it to Y-H-W-H, and that's where we got Jehovah, okay? But really, we don't know how to pronounce it. It's probably Yahweh. I am. This God's name is I am. This God that the Bible points to is I am. This God who's alive is I am. And it gives us an incredible picture of God. It's this covenant name of God, and it shows his personal relationship to those who believe in him. I am tells us he's a person. As a matter of fact, we learn from scripture there's three in one. I am tells us we can know him and yet he's unknowable, except for as he reveals himself to us. I am tells us he's infinite, he's the great I am, and yet we can only know him as he compares himself to us or to something that's finite. You see, I am has no beginning, has no end. I am has no needs. I am answers to no one. I am doesn't need our help. I am doesn't need our advice. I am doesn't need our worship. I am doesn't even need us to defend him. What was significant about Moses was not who Moses was, but who was with Moses, okay? I am is self-existent. Everything in the world that we see needs something else to survive. We all need air, water, Right? Every plant, every animal needs something else, not I am. He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything. I am is eternal. He created time. He's before time. He's after time. He's above time. He always has been, always will be. He's always present. We live in time. I am does not. I am is unchangeable, is immutable. What would you change about perfect? We change. God doesn't change. I am is just, he's good, he's merciful, he's gracious, he's holy, he's present always. I am can be trusted. 
Jesus Christ came to the earth as a man and he claimed to be I am. He claimed to be God and they knew exactly what he was claiming. Remember he said, before Abraham was, I am. He didn't say, before Abraham existed, I was. That would have been cool in and of itself, right? But no, no, no. He said, before your father Abraham, who you worship, before him, I am, okay? I'm God. And he went on and he said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the, the door for the sheep, right? I'm the resurrection of life, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the vine. I am. This God, Jesus Christ, didn't, didn't put any gray out there. This was pure black and white, I am God. That, that unpronounceable name that you guys are afraid to even verbalize, that's who I am. And if we believe the Bible, we believe Jesus is the great I am. We believe he rose from the dead. We believe he's alive and he dwells within us, believers. Now think about that as you go through your day. It's not about who you are. It's about who's with you. It's about who's in you, okay? It's the great I am, the God of history, the God that created history, the God that's above history, the God who spoke to, to Moses on tablets and spoke to Martin Luther to, to translate the scripture, the God who spoke on the, the iPad. This God is relevant. So how are we to make God relevant to our world? He is. He is. What we're to do is surrender to him. It's so simple, it's profound. We're to surrender to him. We are to abide in him. We are to allow him to live through us. Paul captured that in the book of Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, he's kind of laying out this whole process of, of what our life is and this whole process of who Christ is and how we're in Christ. And in Colossians chapter two, he goes, as for you, therefore, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflow with gratitude. Look it, he says, as you receive Christ as Lord, walk in him. How did you receive Christ as Lord? By faith. All we can do is recognize him as God, him as our savior, him as who he claims he is, the great I am. That's how we're to walk, that, that, that's progress, that's move, that's live. We're to live walking, believing God is who he says he is. The psalmist says, cease striving and know that I'm God, okay? That's how we're to live our lives, just daily walking out, believing what God says is true is true. Walk in the spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. We're to have our roots in him. We're to have our foundation in him. It's an amazing thing to see what God does. And, and, and there's danger though. Paul warns us of the danger in our walk. Verse eight, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, empty to session according to the tradition of the men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. He's like, see to it, here's the danger, no one takes you captive. That word is, is, is really to rob you. That word really is, is if you get down to it, it's like to kidnap you, to make you a slave, okay? There's someone that's trying to make you a slave, trying to rob you of your freedom, trying to rob you of your peace and your love and your joy. Okay, see to it that they don't take you captive, that they don't rob you, that they don't make you a slave. And how do they do it? They rob you through philosophy. 
That word means love of wisdom. And really what they're talking about is like loving the theories about God. It's men deciding what is truth. It's men deciding the meaning of life. It's, it's searching for, for life apart from Christ. That's what captures this. It's this philosophy and it's an empty deception. That word is hollow. It looks good on the outside, but it's deceitful. There's nothing inside. The things we pr pursue trying to get to God apart from God are empty. They're hollow. They sound good, but they're a fraud. And, and, they, and the way they come at us is they come at us according to the tradition of men, something that's handed down, tradition, right? Uh, we've, we've always done it this way. It's got to be this way. And it could be based on God. You know, in Moses' day, remember the, the serpents came and they, would, they, they had that attack of the plague and they would bite the people and if they would just simply die. And that's quite a consequence, right? And just sudden death. But anyway, uh, so God told Moses to take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and hold it up. And when the people would look at that serpent, they would live, they would have life. Of course, John tells us that that was a picture of Christ being lifted up on the cross. And we look to Christ, we have life. But what happened with those people is they ultimately, the Hebrew people, made that bronze serpent an idol, Nehushtan, and they worshiped it. And we don't generally go around worshiping bronze serpents of snakes on a, on a stick, right? We think that's kind of silly. But you know what? We can easily worship a cross. We can worship a cross. We can worship the things that are to point us to God. We can worship the Bible. The Bible just points us to God, right? We, we can turn these things that are from God, that are our traditions, that are symbols of the faith, and start worshiping the created things, start worshiping the, the, the things of God rather than the God of the things. That's what's subtle. See, tradition, religious tradition is like this style of worship. It's this, this a certain time or a certain day or a certain length or a certain dress or a certain place or a certain music. You know, even these things that begin with God, they can, they can point to God. They become hollow when we try and put God into a box. Just because people have believed something and they've handed it down, maybe even for generations, doesn't make it true. The word is true. And the word points to the ultimate truth, Jesus Christ, the great I am. These traditions are according to the elementary principles of the world. That word for elementary is, is like, um, in a row it means, but really what it's come to mean is like the alphabet. It's the ABCs of the world. Okay, or, or else it could be like the core elements of the world, the stars. So basically what we're trying to do is we're coming to worship God through the basic things that we find in this world. Okay, and all of a sudden we're trying to bring God down into this world, the basics of this world, or we're trying to bring God down and we're going to worship him through the worship of stars, through astrology or through things like that, and we're going to bring God down, okay, and, and, we're, and we're tempted to take our risen Lord, our risen Savior, and we're tempted to add these man-made regulations, these external acts, these external ceremonies, and bring him down and try and get to God through the act. We're not to be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. We'll be renewed, right? We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, our God, the great I am, is alive. And that's what Paul lays out in verse 9. He says, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In him you have been made complete. In him he's the head. He's the rule over all authority. Jesus Christ is the great I am. 
all the fullness God of God dwells in him continually, eternally. In him, Christ is full. And guess who dwells within us believers? Christ. Just now, God is relevant. Okay? Now, just think about this. God's not relegated to a cross. He's not relegated to stone tablets. He's not relegated to words on a paper or words in cyberspace. God is alive and he is relevant. And if you think about this, think about relevance as satisfying a needed hand. Relevance is providing answers that impact the questions people are answering. God is relevant. Okay. Now, stick with me for a sec here because this is so simple, but it's so amazing. You see, for us to be relevant, we simply have to surrender to him. Our faith is in the living God. It's not in the great I was, but the great I am. It's not in the form, the way we've always done things. It's the great I am. And so what does this have to do with relevance? What does this have to do with like this core gut belief that this is what's important? Just everything. You see, now just think about this. This great I am God knows everything about you. He knows all the things you do great. He knows all those areas of life where you prosper. He knows all your past times when you've relied on him. He knows you intimately. He also knows all your sins. He knows all the things you've messed up. As a matter of fact, this God knows all the deep, dark secrets that you hope no one ever hears. He knows them. And he loves you anyway, this God. And just think about this. Not only does he know everything about you, he knows everything about everyone. Everyone who's on this earth, everyone who ever has been, everyone who ever will be, this God knows it all. He's the great I am. He knows everything about everybody in your world, your family, your friends, your coworkers. He knows everything about everyone rolling into Sturgis on their bikes, 400 and some thousand, whatever the numbers are. He knows everything about every single one of them. He knows every one of their questions they're answering or they're asking. He knows. He knows. Now, just think about that. To be relevant, all we need to do is intersect into someone's life the answer to their question. Who knows the answer? Who is the answer? The God of the universe, the great I am. He knows exactly where they are. Every person in here, every person we're going to see this day, he knows what everyone needs. He's relevant to every life just now. And we're so trained to, to, to set goals and work on goals and attain goals, which is fine. But the goal of the Christian life is to surrender to God. That's the goal. It's simple. Surrender to God. God, I can't, you can. You want to call it walk in the Spirit? You want to call it abide in Christ? You want to call it dwell with Him? It's this conscious, realized truth that God is God and I'm not. He sets then and accomplishes all the goals. We're just available. And we don't know what God's going to do. Our job is to trust him. And just think about this. As we trust him, as we surrender to him, we become the most relevant source of information for every person that we come in contact with because God knows what they need. God knew what the people in Moses' day needed. God knew what the people in Martin Luther's day needed. 
God knows what the people in our day needs. Our job is to just be available and allow him to love through us. Just now, God is relevant. So just know as a church, we're not going to chase these cultural trends and try and somehow make God fit into them to try and make God attractive. We don't have to do that. Instead, we're going to chase at the core just the, the pursuit of walking with God and knowing him, the pursuit of a relationship with God, the pursuit of the truth of God, the pursuit of surviving, surrendering, resting, abiding in him. Let's be that church. Let's be God's choice to change the world. Let's be that body of believers that, that, that men and women everywhere are craving for. A group of believers in Jesus Christ who just exalt the King. Father, we thank you. Thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are the great I am. You know everything about us and you love us anyway. Thank you that you know everything about everyone we're gonna see today. And God, I pray that each one of us in here who know you as Savior, who know you, I pray that in here that we would just trust you and surrender to you for the next two hours. And after that, for the next two hours. And after that, for the next two hours. And that moment by moment, we would just surrender to you and say, Father, you speak through me, you use me, to impact your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.